Amen. Thank you so much. Boy, that is so true, isn't it? One of these days we're going to kneel in his presence just to thank him for all that he's done for us. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like you to open it to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 24 this morning. Matthew chapter 24, if you have an old Schofield Bible, that's page number 1032. And if you don't, then it's the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24. I want to read some verses here in just a little bit. And then I'll ask, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and follow me through uh, some of these verses this morning. Matthew chapter number 24. Again, I just want to invite you to join us this afternoon at 5.30 for our service once again, our live stream service. Hope you'll be a part of that. And be praying, if you will, and I know you are. I get so many texts throughout the week that... Folks are saying, hey, we're praying for our services and the church and for the preacher and all of that. And I just want to say how much I appreciate that so much. And uh, we're praying for you as well and miss you dearly and love you a whole lot and can't wait till we can all be back together again. And hopefully that will be sooner than later. And uh, so just praying that God will help us through these days. But thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for visiting with us. Uh, on the live stream, and I invite you to be back again 5.30 this afternoon. Hey, here's a good thing. What about this? Why not just make it as churchy as you possibly can? I know it's kind of hard to do that in your home, but you could maybe, as we saw the Sames family this morning, just kind of get dressed up for church and cut all the TVs off and the electronic devices and don't be on uh, you know, the phone while service is going. Of course, I guess that would be a, not much different than what takes place in here. But uh, uh, cut your phone off and, and just, man, focus in on what, what you can of the service. And, uh, man, get up, get out of bed, and get dressed or whatever, and just make it as churchy as you possibly can until we can do better, all right? And uh, so we're looking forward to the days when we can do better. Well, Matthew chapter 24, if you have your Bible open there this morning, in just a moment, I want to read some verses. But I'm standing here this morning in an almost empty church. And as I do so, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are watching on the Internet right now. But as you watch and as we're here in this service this morning, we are actually waiting on five things to happen. There are five future events that are getting ready to happen. In fact, these future events, five of them that I'm talking about, will actually take place in only a seven-year period of time. Now, I, I want to say up front that I'm not saying for certain that this is going to happen in the next seven years. I am not a date setter. Date setters are upsetters. I am not a date setter, but what I am going to talk about this morning could actually happen in the next seven years. So what I want to do this morning by way of an introduction before I come to the text this morning, I want to talk about these five future events. But to do so, I'd like to back my way into them. So what I want to do is I want to start with number five and work my way back to event number one. And all of this, keep in mind, could happen over the next seven years. The the fifth future event that's seven years down the road, should the Lord come today, I would call that the event of obliteration. The event of obliteration. Because we know that right at the end of this seven-year period, there's going to be a great battle that takes place on the earth at a place called Megiddo. The name or the word Armageddon means the Mount of Megiddo or it means the Mount of Slaughter. There's a valley that's located just outside of the city of Jerusalem. It's about 20 miles long. It's about 10 miles wide. 
And it starts east of Mount Carmel and runs through the middle of the Holy Land all the way down to the land of Edom. Uh, this battlefield, Napoleon once stood on a hillside overlooking this battlefield and he called it the world's greatest battlefield. The name Ar Armageddon actually comes from a Hebrew word meaning to cut off. And it's there at this battle of Armageddon that God is going to exactly do that. He is going to cut off that which is unrighteous, unholy, and ungodly. It's going to be a battle that's going to make D-Day look like a church picnic. Because in this battle, there's going to be no surrender, there'll be no prisoners, and there'll be no holds barred. This will be unlike any other battle that has ever been fought. This is the only battle that will ever be fought in human history where the general is going to do all the fighting. You know, normally the general stands on a hillside overlooking a battlefield and he commands his troops, his soldiers, as they do all the fighting. But this battle that I'm talking about, the Battle of Armageddon, or the obliteration uh, of the world as we know it now, uh, the Bible tells us that the soldiers are not going to do the fighting, but the general himself is going to do the fighting. You know why? Our Savior needs nobody to fight his battles for him. He doesn't need a conventional weapon. It's going to be plum comical how he is going to win this battle. You see, all the armies of the world are going to be gathered together with all their guns and their planks and their tanks and jets and missiles and bombs and lasers. I mean, everything in their arsenal and the Savior's only weapon will be his own word. That's right. The Bible tells us that the God who spoke this world into existence will speak those armies into oblivion. Think about that. The war that's going to be won with a word. You know, it shouldn't surprise us because the word of God has great power. Jesus spoke a word one time in a fig tree and it just withered away. Jesus spoke a word in a Category 5 hurricane and the Bible said that the waves and the wind laid down at his feet like little whoop puppies. Jesus spoke a word one time and an entire legion of demons fled like rats at the presence of the word of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is going to come back from heaven to the earth. The armies of heaven are going to follow him. There's going to be a battle and Jesus is going to win the battle with just a word. You see, I think we have a preview of this coming battle in our Bible. Now, of course, we know this is Palm Sunday, and we're getting ready to celebrate next Sunday the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And one of the things that we know that took place in the last week of the life of our Lord was he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, just hours away from Calvary, Jesus took his little band of disciples from that upper room through the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane. And while Jesus was there praying, he was approached by none other than one of his disciples named Judas. Jesus Judas is the only man in all of the history of the world that was not only demon-possessed, but he was also devil-possessed. Because we read in the Bible that Satan himself had entered into old Judas. Judas then becomes a picture of the Antichrist. By the way, a lot of people think that Judas will be the Antichrist. And here comes Judas into that garden, a picture of the Antichrist, dragging all the armies of Rome behind him. Boy, those armies of Rome represent the armies that will be gathered in the valley of Megiddo at the final battle at the end of time. They come to take Jesus by force and to kill him. It looks like for sure that Jesus is a goner. He has no weapons. Simon Peter is the only disciple that has a weapon and all he's got is a sword. It looks like 
like it's absolutely hopeless. But then this happens. In John chapter 18, in verse number 4, we read these words. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, to Judas and to those armies, Whom seek ye? And the Bible said, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am he. And the Bible said, Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. And the next verse says, And as soon as they had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Jesus won that war with just a word. I'm telling you, as we sit in this auditorium, you sit in your home or car, whatever the case may be this morning, we're waiting on a coming event that we could call the event of obliteration. In fact, can I tell you this before I get off of this? Jerusalem, the, the nation of Israel, the, the Israel itself, is the place for two great sacrifices. We know that there was a sacrifice at a place called Calvary, the sacrifice of all sacrifices. But then we know that there's going to be a sacrifice in the valley of Megiddo. And I want to tell you this morning, if you won't meet him at Calvary, you may meet him at Megiddo. But I thank God for one this morning. I've already met him. It's, been a, it's a finished transaction. I met him at a place called Calvary. And I don't have to fear the future wrath of God. There is an event in the future called obliteration. But now, before this obliteration comes the fourth event. And that's the event that I'm calling the future event of coronation. You see, right at the end of this seven-year period of time, before this great battle takes place, we're told that heaven is going to open up. And none other than the Lord Jesus is going to come riding out of heaven upon a white horse. And the Bible said the armies of heaven, by the way, that's, that's you and that's me, those of us that are saved, are going to, are going to come riding back with him down to the earth. Now, this time Jesus isn't coming in the clouds. He's coming all the way back down to the earth. And the Bible said that upon his head are many crowns. You know what that tells me? He's already been crowned King of Kings. He's already been crowned Lord of Lord. This time he's not coming to die on the cross. He's coming to sit on a throne. This time he's not coming as a lamb, but he's coming as a lion. This time he's not coming in grace, but he's coming in government. This time he's not coming to take sides. He's coming back to take over. I'm talking about the event of coronation. They sang about that a moment ago. The the day that we bow in His presence and thank Him for what He's done, lay at His feet the crowns that we have won. I'm talking about the event of coronation. But then before that event, we know that there's a period of time on this earth called the future event of tribulation. So there's obliteration, coronation, and then tribulation. A time of trouble, unprecedented, unmatched, and unequaled. A time of trouble and turmoil like this world has never seen before. It's going to be a time when the very foundations of this earth are going to be shaken. It's going to be a time of disease and disaster and death. It'll be a time, a seven-year period of time, where one out of every two inhabitants on the earth the people of the earth are going to die. It'll be a time when a third of the earth is going to be burned to a crisp. It'll be a time when God is going to pour out His wrath and His fury upon those that have rejected Him and failed to acknowledge Him. I'm calling that the future event 
of tribulation. But now before that time, before the event of tribulation, comes the future event of revelation. You see, to start this period of tribulation, one of the things that's going to happen is this. There's going to be a revealing of the Antichrist, the one who will come and conquer the world through his diplomacy and his subtlety. He will come with the solutions to the problems that are plaguing our world. He will be a savior to a desperate world that is in danger of sinking. He'll be a savior to a world that's in need of saving. Our world today as we know it is in a state of turmoil like never before. Economically, politically, physically, our world is in a mess. They're looking for somebody that has the answer to all the problems that are plaguing our what better time than for the Antichrist to step out on the spotlight of the human eye in this very moment in which you and I are living in. Our world is in chaos and confusion and fear and panic is the rage of our day. And who knows what if the Antichrist were to step out with the answers to the coronavirus, with the answers to the, to the lack of peace that's on our world, to the answers with the, uh, the, the situation of the, the finances that are failing in our day. Could it be that we are paving the way right now for the revelation of the Antichrist? Now stay with me. So there's obliteration, coronation, tribulation, revelation. But the first future event is one I'm calling evacuation. That's right. You see, before the revelation of the Antichrist, according to the Bible, there's going to be an evacuation. Now I'm going to use that word in the same way that our society, our culture uses that word in today. Uh, you know, any time a major storm, a hurricane, whatever, comes up in the Gulf or even toward the, the East Coast, one of the things that normally takes place is an order of evacuation uh, is given to the inhabitants to, for people to get out of the way. Webster's Dictionary defines the word evacuation like this, a moving from one place to another in order to save lives. Or he goes on to say this, a moving out of harm's way. Boy, aren't you glad this morning, those of us that are sitting here today and those that are watching, aren't you glad that before the revelation and before the tribulation, aren't you glad there's going to be an evacuation? God, Jesus, is going to come back from heaven and move his people from this place to another place to get us out of harm's way to save us from the gathering coming storm. We know that as the rapture of the church, the catching away of God's people. And now, here's my message this morning, and I'm done. Please hear me to hear me well. Is there anything going on today that indicates that these five future events are near? Now, again, can I say this? Before you roll your eyes... And before you huff at me this morning, I want to ask you to hear me out. Are there anything, or is there anything going on right now that, that would uh, indicate that the five future events are at hand? What I'd like to do this morning is ask you to join me now in Matthew chapter 24 because the disciples came to Jesus with the same question that many of us are asking as we live out these days. Look at verse 3. Matthew 24, 3, And as Jesus, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, 
the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Can I stop and say a lot of people are asking today, Hey, what's coming? Hey, what, when are you coming? When is Jesus coming? Is this an indication that the world is coming to an end? Boy, those questions that they ask are very pertinent, very important questions that many are asking today. So in verse number 4, in response to those questions, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And then Jesus says this, All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Now I've got to tell you that verse 8 is a pivotal point in this great chapter. It's called the Mount of Olive Discourse. Verse 8 is, is the turning point of this chapter because if you begin reading in verse 4 and read down through verse number 7, Jesus is, is uh, describing the events that are taking place on the earth prior to his return for his people. But then after verse 8, beginning in verse number 9, Jesus begins to describe the, the indicators, the signs that are going to precede his return with his people back to the earth. Now, we know the second coming of Jesus is in two parts, the rapture and then at the end when Jesus comes back from heaven. The first time Jesus comes, he comes in the clouds. Seven years later, he comes back to the earth. Well, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 deal with the indicators, the signs of Jesus coming in the clouds. Beginning in verse number 9 and following, Jesus begins with the indicators or the signs of his return, not in the clouds, but then back to the earth. And Jesus likens it in verse number 8, and this is kind of where I'm going, but look at verse 8. Jesus likens all of this, this, uh, these signs, these indicators regarding his return. He likens it to the birth of a baby. Now, if you look at verse 8, Jesus says this, All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Notice the word sorrows. If you were to get a strong concordance and look up the word sorrows, it means birth pains. In other words, what Jesus is telling us here is the, the second coming of Christ is like a lady that is getting ready to have a baby. There are certain indicators that, uh, that, that are given to show the soon arrival of a baby. Now, any of us in here, and most of us in here, are familiar with how that process works. I mean, most of us in here, except for maybe just a few, are, are, are parents. We Parents, in our case, we've already got grandchildren now. And we know through the process of experiencing this how all this works. You go to the, the doctor. Your wife finds out that she is expecting a baby. You then begin the process of getting ready for the arrival of that baby. Now, even though the doctors can kind of approximate a date of the arrival of the baby, we know... Most of the time, I don't know how, what the percentages are, but 90% of the time probably those doctors are wrong. Oh, they can get in the general vicinity of it. They can get in the, in the same area code of it, sometimes even the same week of it, but most of the time nobody knows exactly when that baby is coming. 
But then as it draws near, of course, uh, the dear mother begins to show the signs of the arrival of the baby. She begins to, you know, have the pudge and the, and the, uh, the pregnancy as it develops and the child begins to develop. Uh, you know, there's the, the lady begins to show the signs of that, of that baby. But then, of course, when it comes time or close to time for that baby to arrive, uh, there are contractions that start happening. Now, a far, the farther these contractions are apart, the longer we know it will be before the baby arrives. For instance, uh, a lady wakes, awakens her husband in the middle of the night, and I don't know why babies can't be born in the middle of the day, why they have to be born in the middle of the night. But she wakes up her husband, and she says, I'm starting to have some contractions. But those contractions, as they time them, are ten minutes apart. Now, there's indicators there. Oh, yeah, the baby's on his way, but it's going to be a while yet. But as that baby nears, those contractions become more rapid. They become more frequent, and they become more extreme and more, uh, more harder and more painful for that dear lady that's getting ready to deliver that baby. And when those contractions get a minute or two apart and they're extremely difficult and painful, well, we know one thing, look out. Man, that baby's going to be here in just a little bit. Now, here's where a lot of people get turned off to the second coming of Christ. Because we have contraction pains going on, but those contractions have been far apart, many people begin to look at the second coming of Christ as an event that will never happen. When preachers preach, against, uh, uh, preach about some of the things that I'm going to say here in just a moment, People roll their eyes and they huff because they say, well, it's always been like that. But you've got to understand the difference between it always being like that and where we're at today. The contractions are so much more frequent. The pain, the intensity of what's going on, it's so much more tougher. I mean, whereas there used to be a sign here or a sign there, it almost just seems like now it is one contraction after the next. They're not far apart. And the things that are coming upon the earth are more painful and they're more tougher. And Jesus is saying to our society, you need to get ready. The baby's getting ready to be born. The Savior is getting ready to come. Are you rapture ready? That's what I'm preaching on this morning. Are you ready for the evacuation? Are you ready for the rapture. If you've ever heard me preach about the second coming before, one of my favorite illustrations to use about the second coming is like a bag of microwave popcorn. I don't know how y'all are at your house, but man, we, we normally, almost every night, if not every night, every other night, our dogs even like popcorn. I mean, what we don't eat, we feed to the dogs. I mean, we, we eat popcorn. My wife feels like it's a healthy, subject, a healthy uh, snack, and so... Uh, after I have my bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream with chocolate syrup on it, uh, I eat a healthy snack. And we have a bag of popcorn. But if you ever put one of those things in the microwave and you set it, I think it's three minutes you set it on, that first minute or so, first minute or half, nothing happens. But then maybe there's a pop. And then maybe another pop. And then maybe another pop. But as that nears the time of its completion, I mean, there's popping going on everywhere. I mean, that bag is blowing up. It looks like it's going to explode. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, for years, for decades, there's been a pop here or a pop there. 
But you and I are living in days where it's no longer just a pop and then a pop. We're living in days that things are popping like crazy. And Jesus is saying, you better get ready. We are heading for a wrap-up. Things are coming to a conclusion. I want you to look with me in our text this morning, and I'm dealing with the signs regarding the return of the Lord for His people. So I'm dealing with verse 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, basically. But I, I see in this, as, as I group them together, and I'm, I'll be through in a minute, but as I group them together, I put them in three categories. The first category, I would have to say in verse 4 and verse number 5, are spiritual signs. Spiritual signs. Jesus said, look for these spiritual indicators. Look what he said in verse 4. He said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Sounds like to me that the days prior to the coming of Jesus are going to be days of great deception. And you and I know that we're living in days of great, great spiritual deception. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 13, our Bible says this, Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. These are days of great spiritual deception. But he goes to verse number 5 and he talks about, Look out now, watch out for people who say, Come on the scene saying, I am Christ, and deceive, deceive many. Now, all of these imposters, there have been many of them, but all of these imposters, they culminate in the person of the Antichrist himself. Now, one of the things that the Antichrist is going to institute in the last days is a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world system of money. He's going to issue a mark upon people. And without that mark, you cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark. Now, one of the things, and I, you, you check this out. I've got stuff here I'm going to read in a moment. But one of the things the Internet has been abuzz with in, the, in recent days is something that Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, is proposing. In the light of the COVID-19 virus, he is proposing a quantum dot tattoo that would lead to, uh, that would contain certain virus vaccination information that a person would wear right on them. Now, it may not be visible to the human eye, but it is visible to a, uh, to a special light that most cell phones have on them. He is talking about, hey, everybody that gets vaccinated for the COVID-19, and by the way, they say probably in the next month or so, those who know what they're talking about, I have no idea. But those who know what they're talking about are saying that we're probably in the next couple of weeks going to see a spike in what's happening. And then we're going to see a, a decline in what's going on as the weather turns hotter and more humid. But now they're talking about there could be a return of this in the fall of the year. Now we're hoping one of the things that we're, they're talking about is developing some kind of a vaccine to keep you from getting COVID-19. But how do we know who's got it and who doesn't? Bill Gates is proposing some type of tattoo, a quantum dot, which will be invisible to the eye, be, be placed upon a person who receives the, the, the vaccine. But he also said this. He took it a step further and he said, because COVID-19 lives on, on money, and it's already been a proven fact that it can live at least 10 days on a dollar bill. That's why 
When you go through a drive-thru, please use your hand sanitizer if you get money back. Uh, but it can live up to 10 days on a dollar bill, on money. He's also proposing if we do that, why don't we go ahead and do that in a digital manner where we can go ahead and make a, 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 give the per, a person a, the ability to be able to pay with their tattoo. Now, if that don't beat all, I mean, that, ladies and gentlemen, they say will greatly reduce the risk of infection and the spread of COVID-19. But doesn't that kind of sound like what we read over at the end of the Bible? I mean, there are certain spiritual signs that are indicating the baby's about ready to be born. They're spiritual signs. Look again at verse number 6. There are national signs. Listen to this. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he jumps down to verse 7 and says this, For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now I want to stop there because there's one word we keep hearing through this whole COVID-19, this coronavirus, the one word that we keep hearing over and over again is the word China. I mean, you can't, you can't hardly even listen. Our president several days ago referred to this as a China virus and was attacked viciously by the media as being, uh, uh, being bigoted, racist about this. I mean, but I mean, call it what it is. Where did it come from? It come from China. I mean, if you eat Japanese food, you call it Japanese food, don't you? What would you have for supper last night? Well, we had Japanese. Nobody gets mad over that. This, this virus originated in China. Now, let me tell you something. Napoleon Bonaparte said of China, listen to this, he said these words, Let China sleep, for when she wakes, she will move the world. Hey, can I tell you something? We've seen the waking of China in recent years. Now, I want to tell you this before I go any further. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I, I, I don't buy into, uh, you know, that uh, President Johnson had JFK killed. I, I don't buy into all that stuff. I'm not one of these who is constantly looking for a devil behind every bush. I know my grandpa, bless his heart, when they finally landed on the moon in 69 or whatever, my grandpa never did believe they landed on the moon. He thought they landed on top of Pilot Mountain over here. He said, well, oh, they're walking around on that rock over there, Pilot Mountain. I am not one of those conspiracy kind of a theorist kind of person, but, man, i got to tell you something. There are too many things worth noting about this current virus situation that kind of ties China into all this. You may remember last fall, our president forced China to the bargaining table last year to kind of try to level the playing ground with the United States. I've got a, a long article here that I'll not go into reading much of it, but uh, Trump said in announcing the tariffs that he did so because of the spirit of achieving fair trade. He said we must balance this unfair trading relationship with China, which he said had become a great burden to the taxpaying citizens of the United States of America. He said, and I quote, we are losing trillions of dollars to China uh, almost every year. They have stolen our intellectual property, uh, property at a rate of hundreds of billions of dollars a year. And he said, it's time we level the playing ground with China. And then if you think back to the end of last year, China's chief ally, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, 
the president or chancellor or dictator of North Korea warned America of a December surprise. You remember that? He said, uh, he said you look out, there's going to be a surprise in December to the United States of America. Now again, I'm not saying that that Maybe, maybe all this is true. I mean, I know that's true. I'm not saying it all ties in together, but I will tell you this. Boy, it would have to be pretty coincidental not to tie in. Wuhan, China, where the virus actually originated, is the location of China's only and largest biochemical lab. Whether this leaked out, it got out, or was released out as a form of punishment is unknown. We do know that China has risen to a world superpower status. They have the largest army in the world. They have the second best economy, and they have nuclear capabilities. 53%, uh, 53 billion pounds of pork every year are exported into America from China. 70% of all the steel mills in the United States of America are owned by China. 45% of all the steel in the world is owned by China. And 80% of all prescription medications comes from China. Now, I'm going to tell you something, ladies. And by the way, ventilators, guess where our ventilators, most of them, of course, I think the president has got maybe GM and the Ford Motor Company working on ventilators now, but our ventilators come from China. Our masks and gloves are imported from China. I mean, nation rising against nation. I don't know if this was released upon us in America as a form of punishment because our, 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 our president passed those tariffs on the Chinese. And by the way, they had to back down on that. They had to meet the demands of our president to level the playing field but maybe as a form of revenge, they have released this upon our nation. You say, Preacher, are you sure? I'm not sure. But man, there sure are a lot of things, a lot of things happening. I mean, don't you think it's about time America became dependent upon American products again? I mean, we have shut our companies down, sent them to China, to these countries uh, to work for, for, for smaller wages sacrificed the jobs of millions and millions of Americans, caused millions of, Amer millions of Americans uh, to go on almost starvation while we pump money into their economy. And boy, it seems awful funny to me that all this has just broke upon us and happened just coincidentally. Nation shall rise against nation. Then if you look at verse 7, not only are there spiritual signs and national signs, but if you look at the end of verse number 7, there are physical signs. Notice what he says. There shall be famines. Famines. I want you to listen to this. I just read this this week. And this come from, of all sources, this, this come from NBC News. I mean, one of the most liberal news outlets there are. But they talk about these large swarm of locusts that are threatening the African continent, that are crossing over to the Middle Eastern continent, and uh, let me just read you a paragraph. It says this, The locust plagues is already the worst in Kenya in 70 years. And in at least 25 other 
uh, uh, 25 years for other parts of the regions. The swarms can move up to 90 miles a day, can eat their weight daily. The current swarm eats as much as 35,000 humans a day would consume. Uh, it goes on down to say all of this. It said even experts say that the swarm is projected to go as far as the east as Pakistan in the next coming months. It, it will begin descending upon the Middle East in, in the next month, coinciding with the Jewish holiday of Passover, which celebrates, among other things, the biblical ten plagues in Egypt, one of which was locusts. And one of the major problems they have with fighting this swarm of these locusts is the COVID-19 virus. They can no longer travel from country to country in meetings to try to combat this locust threat. And these locusts are just moving along, eating everything in sight, which is going to lead to a humongous famine in our world. Let's see. I have another article here. This is from MSNBC. And it said this. He said that uh, if the world, a Somali police officer stood by experts on Thursday, walked across the dry land, crawling with young locusts, and explained the threat to come if the world doesn't act right now. In the next three or four weeks, these, these nymphs will develop. They're jumping locusts now. They're going to develop wings. They're going to spread throughout the entire uh, African continent over to the Middle East. And one of the writers said, this is now the new normal. Now, we all know the part that famine plays in the time of the tribulation period. We even know the part that locusts plays in the time of the tribulation period. Look again at verse 7, famines. The next word is the word pestilences, diseases. Our country has literally been brought to its knees by something we can't even see. Pestilences. And then he says this, and earthquakes in diverse places. I want to read you this, and I'm done, but listen to this, and you can check this out. I got this off uh, earthquakes.com. This tracks earthquakes. This week in, in the United States of America, there have been 88 earthquakes in the past 24 hours. 509, I'm talking about just in the United States. 591 earthquakes in the past seven days, 2,660 earthquakes in the past 30 years, and what about this, the earthquake last week, and of all places, Idaho? I mean, we could understand if it was been on the West Coast, but Idaho? Listen to this worldwide. The past 24 hours worldwide, 152 earthquakes, seven days, 1,042 earthquakes, the past 30 days, 4,715. The past year, there have been 63,871 earthquakes. Say, so, preacher, it almost makes you, you're almost making it sound like that Jesus is coming today. I can't say that for sure. Neither can you. But I can't say that he's not coming today. I don't know when he's coming. I do know this. The contractions are a lot closer. The, the pain is a lot more intense. Our world is going through something that I believe the Lord is maneuvering to pieces and getting things ready for the arrival of the Lord Jesus. You know, this is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is that Sunday that we celebrate the last week of the life of our Lord.
So he gets on a donkey the last week, and he rides into the city of Jerusalem. And what he's doing, he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He's presenting himself as the king to the nation of Israel. And, of course, we know they eventually kill him. They, they, they crucify him. So he comes riding into the city on a donkey. He's riding on a donkey. But then we read over at the end of the Bible that Jesus is going to ride again. The next time he's going to ride, he's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a white stallion. And the armies in heaven are going to follow him back to this earth. That takes place at the end of that seven-year period. But before we can come out, we've got to get in. And what I'm trying to say is this morning, if you're not rapture ready, if you're not ready for the coming of Jesus, today is the day of salvation. You know, we're talking about next Sunday and Easter and what we're going to do, but can I tell you something? There may not even be a next Sunday. Jesus may come, and all of us may celebrate Easter in heaven. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Amen. Get us out of this mess that we're in. Are you ready? Let's bow our heads for this.